Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, fellow conspiracy realists. Quick disclaimer before we begin today's episode. We had some slight technical difficulties, so the microphones are going to sound just a bit different for the first part of the show. Still, we hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. A former darling of New York politics just got caught selling pardons for two million a pop. Probably heard about that. People are intentionally crashing planes, uh, and and they're they're not doing it uh, as an act of terrorism. Uh, there is a very gruesome story we're going to get to on the African continent. Uh, we will give you a heads up before we get into it. it. May not be appropriate for all audience members, but before we do any of that. I think we're traveling to Utah, which is a there's some beautiful parts of Utah. I went a few years back. Absolutely. We're actually I mean, it's really all over the world uh, mm-hmm. is where we're traveling. But Utah is probably the center of uh, today's story that we're going to start with. Guys, we, we've talked about religion and money on this show before. Uh, mm-hmm. Most often, I think we reference it when we talk about either the Vatican uh, and the Catholic Church or the Church of Scientology. I know we've discussed that before, too. Uh, just trying to estimate how much money those organizations have and how they get that money, what they do with that money after it comes to them. Um, and I guess let's start here by giving some estimates, some guesstimates on the wealth of different religions. So if we just look at the Church of Scientology, if you Google around to try and find like, what might the Church of Scientology be worth right now, at least on paper, not necessarily in some holding account somewhere, right? Just on paper, it appears that the Church of Scientology is worth several billion dollars. That includes, I mean, you know, and the estimates range anywhere from 1.7 to like $5 billion. There's, there's some There's a big range there, but several billion dollars. And if you think about that in the context of the Rudy Giuliani story you just mentioned there, Ben, giving away uh, two million dollar pardons, which, you know, two million dollars. I wouldn't call that giving it away. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Uh, Let's say negotiating two million dollar pardons, which two million dollars is a lot of money. Feels like a lot of money to me. But then when you multiply that thing and you get in the billions, you just realize, wow, that's a lot of money. So let's jump to another one, the Vatican, the Catholic Church. 
it's estimated to be somewhere in the order of $80 billion, maybe 70 to $80 billion, which is, again, a ton of money. Think about the companies, the massive corporations that have that kind of wealth. Are there many? Not really. There are a couple individuals that have skyrocketed up to those levels, but uh, those are like the biggest, wealthiest players on the planet. Well, let's jump to today's story. (laughs) Uh, The one that I, the version that caught my attention at least comes to us from The Guardian, written by Gloria Oladipo, I believe is how you would say that. It was written on May 15th of this year, and the title is this. The Mormon Church has $100 billion clandestine hedge fund, says Whistleblower. $100 billion hedge fund. And again, keyword in that title, Whistleblower. Okay, so this story actually goes way back to 2019, and we're going to get to that. And some of you are probably already going, hey, this is an older story. It is, but it's really come to light because there was a, a CBS 60 Minutes a segment, let's say, about this specific story where this whistleblower came on and spilled the beans, basically, about what's going on. And ultimately, the takeaway is whether or not you believe this individual whistleblower who was deep in the organization that he's referencing, or you believe the official story coming from the Church of Latter-day Saints, right? Uh, The Mormon Church. Mm -hmm. So here we go. This person, his name is David Nielsen. And he worked at a place called Ensign Peak Advisors. That's E-N-S-I-G-N, if you want to look it up. Uh, They were basically an investment firm that was functioning not as a front necessarily, right, for the, the Mormon church, but they were working with the Mormon church to manage all of their wealth. Uh, and to move money around where it needed to go for all the charity work that the church does, for all of the building projects that they have. Basically, any expense that uh, the church has, they deal with that. They also deal with the money coming in from people who are tithing. Let's say you know the traditional tithe is 10% of your income goes to the church that you attend, and that is the standard for the Mormon church. And his statement there that's in the title of this article uh, is basically... Um, that the church was bringing in money from that tithing because they've got millions of members and they were putting it in this hedge fund, which was allegedly supposed to be used for those very things I just mentioned, right? The, the charitable works, the things that are meant to grow the church's uh, footprint uh, amongst humanity. And instead of doing that, they just kept it in there and kept growing the account and growing the account and growing the what account. What about humanity? Well, this is a really interesting thing to me because there's quite a lot in many religions about the end times, right? About what's going to happen in the future. What's, what is the world going to look like when, uh, insert your Messiah comes back or when the world begins to end because of whatever apocalypse is within the scripture that you adhere to, uh, in my mind, this is just my personal take on the whole thing. It feels like building up the bank for the future when bad stuff happens, we'll be able to exert serious influence, maybe? Although Ooh. money may not have much uh, meaning by that time. I don't know. <laughs> what I do mean, you guys it just think? Could, yeah, it could be just some other commodity that becomes the currency of the age, you know? I think that's completely reasonable. Um I do believe the separation of church and state is incredibly important, but I, I'm, I'm also aware of the hypocrisy inherent in what I'm about to say. I do yeah. think religious organizations should pay taxes at this point. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Because That's the they, other thing. they benefit right. from, like any other organization, they benefit a great deal from infrastructure, right? From mm-hmm. organization, you know? Uh, churches need believers and those believers are active members of an economy. So I, to me, it makes sense. Um, but also I feel like we all knew about the church of Latter-day Saints, enormous genealogical database, their enormous proselytization around the world, their enormous horde right? Uh, Because that's 10% from everybody. That's a ton of money. But they also aren't necessarily doing anything anything wrong, 
just by having their members tithe unless they start obscuring the amount of tithing, mm. unless they start playing, you know, the shell game and stuff. And that I think that's correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt, but that's what the whistleblower made news with, right? Was the Yes. That's the old story. The old story the is old taxes. Story. The old story is taxes, but this one is um this one gets into shell companies, gets into stuff that we would associate with Panama paper level actors. Mm, money laundering. Absolutely. Right. Well, let's get into those numbers. So uh, according to The Guardian and according to information that's known from several of the sources I've been looking at today, there's an estimated $7 billion in tithing that comes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints every year through their 17 million estimated members. Uh, so $7 billion a year is an incredible amount of money. And when you're bringing that money in and you're putting it away, depending on what you're going to do with it, uh, you may or may not have to pay taxes, even if you're a religious organization, because you may be using that money for other things that would require that taxes be paid for it, right? Or you may be getting in money from different places that you may have to pay taxes on. There are all kinds of rules that deal with like... Um, how any organization pays taxes, even if you have an exemption of some sort, the way a religion would. And what David is saying here is that they are basically dodging taxes to the tune of billions of dollars in taxes, which, Oof. which stinks. Right. And it's not cool, but you, you know, if you look at big picture, think about the corporations that do the exact same thing every year to the tune of billions of dollars. And it feels like it's just, another um, corporate maneuver, basically, being utilized by a church. Yeah, I think since the, um, gosh, in the age of the post-Great Depression, I think the average resident of the United States has simply assumed that the truly wealthy do not pay taxes because you, you will have a team of people with access become an international entity past a certain financial threshold mm -hmm. and well. it is just considered right and proper business to move these things around and and you know we also see that the current um fines or punishments for avoiding taxation usually can be uh rationalized as a cost of doing business not mm. to mention we, we've had some pretty high profile figures let's just say without naming names kind of just bragging about all those things that you're talking about ben mm. so where that might have been an open secret before it's just out there you know by some very visible folks that are kind of just yapping about it on tv mm. do we know what the uh what the consequences might be for this religious organization yeah, no consequences. No, I'm just. Oh, okay. I, I, just I, I, I was going to check. I was just checking. You know <laughs> what I mean? Can I ask you one thing, Matt? Um, yeah. Being that you know this church is perhaps prepping for an apocalypse, you know, as you mentioned, or some religious oriented event that may or may not be quote unquote real. Uh, are there limits to what they can do with this money and to what kinds of disclosures they need to make? Like, are, are there expectations, reasonable expectations from the tithers as to what their money is going to be used for? No, I mean, no, you're you're yeah. giving money to an organization that is quite secretive at the top. Like most of these religious organizations, when you get to the upper, upper echelons, Ooh. it's not that they're being secret because there's, you know, it's some secret society kind of thing. It's just more like, well, hey, that's actually where the money is. And that's where uh, they decide what they do with their money. And make decisions on things like dogma, right? Like what is actually in right. what are we actually going with as the story of this group? Receiving um, prophecies, right? Yeah, that's oh, all the, kinds of stuff. Yeah, the um, I, I do think we we should point out though because I, I don't want anybody to mistake this for us dunking on religion, even the the no. obvious problems of organized religion or cross platform, and so we're not. We're not dunking on the Latter-day Saints whatsoever. We've got friends who are in the church. And I think, you know, like you said, Matt, the vast majority of people there are just living their lives like anyone else. And they are paying a tithe. That's that's one of the big criticisms is they're saying, you know, why are you taking this from um, people who are not 
in the best financial situation to donate 10% of their income. Why aren't you helping them? I think church leadership said that was a narrow perspective. But I also want to point out, if you live in the U.S. and you're not a billionaire, then you also tithe. You just pay taxes to the state. And you also don't get to decide what the state does or does not do with that cash. Oh, yeah. And you pay way more than 10 percent, probably. Well, it's, and, and you could you could argue it's part of the, the belief system of that organization to give that. So on the one hand, yes. you're doing it willingly, but Ooh. you could also argue that depending on your level of belief that it is not considered optional. Oh, yeah, dude. My parents have given 10 percent to whatever church they were going to all throughout the years that I've known them. Um, and I've known them a long time. The whole time. The whole time. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's get back to that original 2019 uh, story. So sure. This same whistleblower came forward in 2019. He went directly to the IRS and said, hey, something is going on here at this place that I've worked for a long time. I don't think it's right. You should know about it. It was in 1997. David Nielsen has worked here for quite a while, that Ensign, uh, Ensign Peak place. He worked there for a long time. In 1997, $1 billion dollars of that money that comes into the Mormon church every year was placed into an account at Ensign Peak. It was a, quote, reserve fund. Now, the problem here is that Ensign Peak is registered as a nonprofit. That money that was in that fund was invested, okay? So it was not used as like a place where you'd put your nonprofit money, then you use that money as a pool to fund your nonprofit activities. It was literally invested in 1997, which over time since then, it's grown to $100 billion. So that's one of the big deals, because if you were originally going to you know, put that $1 billion in and invest it, you would have to pay taxes on it. You couldn't right. just take it and throw it in the casino that is Wall Street, which they, they did really well. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, there's a positive feedback loop. The more money you have, the easier it is to generate an increasing amount of wealth. That's, that's either a flaw or a feature of the system. Now, we should also point out. It's right to be concerned about this guy, this whistleblower. Whistleblowers are historically treated very badly because they are um, exposing the wrongdoing of incredibly powerful forces. Uh, he's probably going to get shunned by certain factions of the church, and he is probably going to get criticized because I think, according to that Washington Post article you had mentioned earlier, I think there's a potential reward for him. So his motives might be in question, too, by church leadership. Oh, there's definitely... Yeah, he, you get a whistleblower reward, right? When you go to the IRS or the DEA or whatever. Any of the alphabet soup, yeah. FTC, all that stuff, or FCC, ABC, I guess. CBS, <laughs> TNT, ATF, KKK, whatever. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, shout there, out. Your reward is in breath. heaven. Your reward is in heaven, good sir. That's what I say. Sorry, guys, just to continue here. The other thing that they were doing is using that money to do things like build a mall on church property, like build a for-profit mall on church property with nonprofit Surely funds. only selling religious pamphlets and accoutrement, right? No, uh, probably oh, not. Uh, but, okay. but also, like, there's a lot here. You're right, Ben, about just that whistleblower. You may want to take his motivations into uh, question there, which you probably should. You always should, as you said. But there is lots of just kind of messed up stuff going on there when it comes to are these church funds, are they, are they being used for what they are legally allowed to be used for or not? Does it matter to you listening? Does that matter at all to you? Does it matter to you that corporations do the same kinds of things sometimes? Maybe not exactly the same thing, but something similar and get away not having to pay taxes because of loopholes? Uh, I don't know. Well, at the end of the day, I don't see how a, a religion, you know, writ large is much different than a corporation. You know, when they've got like branches of their churches, they've got like divisions, they have leadership that are high, highly paid and incentivized, you know, I really do think it's a very, it's a great comparison, Matt. And I, I think whether you care or not is, is another issue. But I mean, the question is, do the tithers care? 
Hmm. There you go. I don't know. That's that's what interests me. Do they feel that they've been betrayed or are they like, no, whatever you think, use it for that. The dynamics of social pressure are a hell of a drug. Yeah. And just to end here, guys, it's no surprise that the Mormon church and the officials who speak for the Mormon church have denied the claims that Nielsen is making. Uh, They say, no, none of this is true. And according to the guardian and many of the experts that they consulted, Quote, the likelihood of the IRS investigating Nielsen's claims is low. So nothing will probably come of this. But hey, it's good to know the church has $100 billion. Why not? Hey, yeah. Um, and also, they do have great marketing. They sponsored Book of Mormon, uh, which surprised me. But they're, they're good at what they do. That's right. Well, you can't wait to hear what you think about this story. We'll be right back with more strange news. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned. This is the disclaimer I mentioned at the top. The following story contains um, graphic descriptions of violence, uh, cult activity, and some disturbing crimes. As such, it may not be suitable for all audience members. Longtime conspiracy realists, you know, we try to. Uh, we try to keep each story in a strange news or listener mail segment uh, to about 15 minutes. So go ahead and scroll there if this is not for you. Otherwise, uh, join us. We're diving into a grizzly rabbit hole here. We're continuing exploring the dirty deeds of organized religions or belief systems. This story takes place in Khalifi, Kenya. You may not have heard of Good News International Ministries. You may uh, not have heard of its other name, the Servant PM McKenzie Ministries. And if this ends up becoming, you know, one of those exploitation true crime documentaries on a streaming service, you'll probably see it called the Shakahula Cult. Shakahula Cult. This... This has been brewing for quite some time. Like, as we know, you know, the African continent is absolutely huge. And like any huge landmass with lots of people, there are going to be bad actors. There are going to be opportunities for cultic organizations. That's no different from anywhere else in the world. I swear, if you give the people in Antarctica enough time trapped in, in those research labs together, 
they will inevitably generate a belief system of their own. It's just how people people. And usually it doesn't go wrong. But in this case, it went terribly wrong. Uh, this, this was a relatively new organization. It was founded uh, about 20 years ago, 2003, by a guy named Paul McKenzie. And for most of the time, it was, it was just a small church. Before he had become a religious figure and a spiritual leader, Paul was a taxi driver in Nairobi, the capital of Kenya. And he was uh, repeatedly, this is weird, he was repeatedly charged by the authorities, apparently due to sermons he was conducting. Four times this happened. He was acquitted due to lack of evidence. So he went and started his own church, which happens all the time throughout human history. And he gathered a very large following. He had convinced his followers that he was uh, an intercessor, by which we mean that like a Catholic priest, he could personally communicate with God. And so if you Mm. wanted a real line to the divine, you joined up with Paul. Then you got Paul to talk to heaven on your behalf. Always found that to be a suspicious sort of claim in any religion, you know. But I guess that was the whole beef with Catholicism that led to the Reformation was that very thing, like requiring some sort of conduit between the individual and God. Mm -hmm. And I would argue it goes past religion. Typically, I mean, siloing information from people or pretending to do so, it's pretty unethical outside of some very specific circumstances where you need to do that, right? Uh, So this guy, we're not going to judge whether or not he could actually talk to God, but let's walk through a little bit of the story because it was brewing while people kind of outside of Kenya weren't paying attention. In 2016, they, like the group, Good News International, sold their property on the island of Lamu to Mackenzie, and they gave him the money from the sale. He used the money to buy more property in nearby cities. He funded a TV station to broadcast his message. This might sound like a grift, but do check out our prosperity theology and televangelism episodes. Uh, This move that some followers did created kind of a sea change in the organization and other, the dominoes fell. Other people started selling their property, giving their money to the church. McKenzie got charged with uh, promoting radicalization in 2017, as well as concerns that he was denying, that he was mistreating children, not giving them access to a proper education, healthcare, etc. running an unaccredited school. This also happens a lot of times in isolated belief systems. They want to get them young and keep them dumb is the way I would put it. And maybe that sounds cynical, but that's the MO. Anyhow, he continues getting in trouble because children died as a result of this lack of access to health care. The government intervened in 2017 and rescued almost 100 children from the church, uh, 93 kids, in fact. Uh, then he was criticized for trying to inspire children to drop out of school without parental consent. He was acquitted on some charges. In one case, uh, the charge was dropped. Uh, he was increasingly butting heads with the law, which is another thing that cultic organizations tend to follow. It's, it's a very similar pattern. Check out our YouTube episode on how to start a cult. Got to mention it every time, mm-hmm. every time we do this one. Well, one of the main reasons he was he was telling everybody not to get educated, right? Don't educate your kids. It's because he right. believed that it was all controlled by some kind of evil or satanic force, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, just like fascism, a good cult needs an external enemy, right? And he had he had an increasingly isolationist kind of worldview. What we saw is that this small church, everybody recalled that it was a quote, normal church at the beginning. Uh, Do check out an excellent New York Times article by Andrew Higgins that's on this. Ben, Ben, I'm sorry if I missed this, but when you say normal church, you're talking about like just regular old run-of-the-mill Christianity? Mm Mm-hmm, yep. Just uh, your typical like 
Honda Civic of Protestantism, right? Got it. And uh, they they actually they started this church in a home in in someone's private home. Uh, this would have been Ruth Kahindi. Uh, she had met Paul McKenzie at a Baptist church nearby and invited him to preach the word in her home. So maybe loose Baptist origins, you could say, but it evolves into something very different. Keeping control of the children, uh, getting them away from the evils of the secular world, also restricting access to kids. You know, you want to you want to break the familial ties, which is one of the earliest social dynamics and kind of replace the idea of the family with the idea of yourself if you're the cult leader. Anyway, so something was coming is what I'm saying. You know, like Koresh style. There was something that was going to culminate. And in the early weeks of April this year, a guy contacted the police saying, hey, my daughter left Nairobi to join this commune and she hasn't come back. And the police arrived to investigate. That's when they discovered absolutely terrible, terrible things. A lot of people were dead in shallow graves and a lot of people were on the brink of starvation because allegedly McKenzie had been escalating, just like a Koresh or a Manson, really, he had been escalating his demands and the uh, extremity of his worldview. And he told his followers that they had to starve themselves in mass to meet Jesus. 201 people died. He's got some Alex Jones, New World Order stuff in there, too. You know, the U.S., the United Nations, the Catholic Church, the tools of Satan. They are always preparing for the end time. But starving yourself is not the way to be prepared. No, it's the opposite. Ben, you mentioned the whole siloing of information about knowledge being, or I think, Matt, you mentioned knowledge being controlled by some evil entities. Does that come down to some sort of like strict constructionist view of like the book of Genesis, you know, where the tree of knowledge and the, you know, the snake representing the devil tempting Eve with the apple of knowledge and all of that. I just, I mean, I mean, maybe I'm reaching there, but mm-hmm. it just, it just seems like maybe like a super strict constructionist view of like that very thing. Like, no, you can't directly partake of this knowledge. It is only for me to divvy out. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to be extremely candid here. This may offend some people. Honestly, cult leaders pick and choose whatever. Like they have their pre-existing aims. Usually they want exclusive uh, sexual access to whatever kind of individual they're interested in. They want to be the only source of attention um, love, emotive things, the only source of knowledge, and so on. And the Bible or the religious scripture, any tome that they use, is only useful insofar as it supports those pre existing aims. So they can take, like, I like your example, Genesis. They could, uh, would they have taken Genesis and done something like that? Quite possibly. But if there's another verse that just helps them do whatever they want to do that Mm, afternoon. Steers their narrative. They're just going to use that and pretend that that's what happens. You can hear some absolutely disgusting stuff from David Koresh's eight eight plus hour long speeches where he is trying to um, rationalize the sexual abuse that he is inflicting upon the community, including the children. This guy is no different. They're they're all variations on a theme, but they're the same genre of music. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think this has more to do with Revelation, though, than any other book of the Bible. Like, mm. what what are the prophecies of the end times and how they're coming about? And what are the signs within that scripture that match up with things that are happening in the real world today, or at least seem to match up? Yeah, and there are a couple of other a couple of other religious organizations uh, in this part of the world. I'm thinking of, of things like the Church of Revelation and so on. End time Protestant-based churches and cults are very popular. Ben, do you mind if we get back to that 201 bodies thing you're talking about? That oh, yeah, you been want to talk about chestnut? the organs. Well, oh well, first of all, I think that's just how many have been recovered thus far, right? It's still going on. Yeah, they're, they're quite likely more because there's a litany of missing people, folks whose parents can't get in contact with them for one reason or another. So it gets, 
it gets pretty rough. Uh, we also know that the police have recently claimed some of the bodies they did recover were missing organs. And Kenyan authorities currently believe that these organs were being harvested and sold. Uh, you can read uh, can read a write-up of this in The Citizen. Just search online for Shakahola Massacre. And it gets worse because people were spreading these rumors. And they may be true, but now the Kenyan government is in full damage control mode. The Interior Cabinet Secretary came out just a few days ago and said these claims of organ harvesting are not true. And they're still fighting it, but it seems like the locals and people in the area absolutely do believe it's true. We should note, obviously, Paul McKenzie as the cult leader, like all cult leaders uh, or wannabe, uh, you know, spiritual dictators. He was very much a do what I say, not don't expect me to walk the walk kind of dude. He did not starve himself. Uh, He has been arrested by authorities, so he's currently in jail uh, for inciting children to starve themselves to death. He's he's facing charges of terrorism, murder, kidnapping, cruelty toward children. We don't know how this is all going to play out, but depending on how the courts choose to prosecute it, they could prosecute this guy as a mass murderer. And the question is. Do you think they should? Uh, yes. <laughs> I also don't think Hollywood should make this into a miniseries, but I'm pretty sure they will. Mm-hmm. And additionally, there was a, another leader, uh, Pastor Ezekiel Odero, of a completely different organization, the New Life Church. He was arrested uh, last week on suspicion of a mass killing of his own followers. This is quite a disturbing, this is quite a disturbing trend. And it's not, I mean, New York Times did do a piece on this, but these kind of organizations are dangerous. And there are many, many more out there than ever make the news. The number would surprise and disturb most of us. So we're going to wrap this up. Uh, I do think we have another cults you never heard of episode on the way in the meantime would love your help fellow conspiracy realist let us know some cults that you have personally encountered that you haven't seen in the headlines especially if you believe they may be dangerous uh, because we want to spread the word uh, we'll tell you how to get in touch with us at the end of the show it's all the classics one eight three three stdwytk and of course conspiracy at iheartradio.com we're going to pause for a word from our sponsors and we'll return with one more piece of strange news Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more. 
while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with today's final piece of strange news, and this one's a doozy. Um, it's got all the all the hits: uh, conspiracy, cover up, social media megalomania, run amok. Um, now let's just jump right into it, skydive right into it. Uh, the individual in question today, Trevor Jacob, 29 years old of Lompoc, California, which I'd never heard of until looking into this story, um, has been brought up on charges uh, obstructing federal investigation pertaining to a YouTube video that he made about a year ago. Uh, Trevor Jacobs, Trevor Daniel Jacobs, um, was a professional, was, is, whatever, a professional snowboarder. Uh, he was actually in the Sochi Olympics and has since seemingly pivoted to sort of uh, YouTube adventure type videos, like the kind of like stuff you see on, like, we used to see on Red Bull a lot, you know, like skydiving, paragliding, um, flying planes, doing stunts, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as we know, Folks like that, the Red Bull case uh, in point, uh, like to get sponsorships and content creators on YouTube. You know, they do not make their money by YouTube monetization alone, because I think the metric there is I don't know if it's changed, but I was always told it was something in the neighborhood of a million views is a little less than a thousand dollars. You know, the way it adds up, I think it's maybe the the whatever it's called, the CPM, I think, is something in the neighborhood of like five to six dollars so per million yeah. is like a thousand views that gives you about five bucks so it's uh, um, yeah unfortunately from experience we can confirm that i always yeah. found the idea of youtube millionaires to be um and no disrespect it's it's a legit way to make a living uh you used to find it to be a bit laughable and you've got you've got your pewdiepies and your you know whoever that other guy is mr, mr. Beast. beasts and all of that who had who get just gajillions of views by doing these crazy stunts so of course because there's such a select few of the folks that actually command that kind of money uh from you know not to mention their sponsorships but just from like youtube views alone it's kind of created this pretty toxic culture of people trying to mimic that, you know, to do everything they can to reach that height of YouTube stardom. Um, and that is unfortunately the case with, uh, with Mr. Jacob here, Trevor Jacob. Um, he, th there's a, this is a really interesting story. This took place over a year ago, but this, uh, investigation by the FAA, um, or actually more specifically the Central District of California, uh, the United States Attorney's Office of the Central District of California. Um, this investigation is just now kind of has come to light in terms of like releasing the information to the public. Uh, he has pled guilty to this obstruction charge. So let's just kind of go through it from the start. Basically what happened is this guy bought a 1940s aircraft like and it's really neat because if you watch the video of him doing this thing where he, he he's flying this plane allegedly I, I don't want to like totally throw this guy on the bus but he claims that he's going to paraglide on this particular cliff this particular spot um and he has the ashes of a fellow youtube adventurer buddy of his with him and he says okay i'm gonna take this plane go to this spot paraglide in, in my buddy's honor and scatter his ashes um conveniently covered by multiple angles uh, mounted on the plane, mounted on his person, mounted on what ultimately ends up being his uh, skydiving setup. He flies a plane. Oh no, the engine has died. The engine has failed. Um, and then he proceeds to say, Oh, out loud, very conspicuously. There's nowhere for me to land. I got to bail out. So he jumps out of the plane, free falls for an absurdly long time um, while holding a selfie stick, no less. Uh, and then he kind of curves around in such a way where he gets footage of the plane crashing and stuff. Like, it's all just too good. It's like this cinematic, you know, really is. Uh, then once he lands, he stumbles through all this brush and he's like, oh, he's making real hay of it. And he he doesn't 
go looking for like uh, some sort of help or station of, of some sort of ranger station. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure exactly what you'd be looking for. This is very much wilderness. He hikes back to the site of the crash um, and he claims that he's doing it once again, conspicuously kind of out loud because he thought he had some water in there. But all of these intrepid YouTubers that have been dissecting this video for a year's time, there's tons of them that almost have more hits even than his video. I think he's racked up about a 4 million hits, but now it's really become just this whole like dissecting, like what, what is real? What is theater kind of aspect of this? And these are all like varying degrees of professional aviators, you know, that are saying, ah, it's kind of weird that he uh, opened the door before he said out loud that he was having engine trouble. That's mm-hmm. that's something that's cited in the press release from the uh, the attorney's office. Um, huh. Why does he have a fire extinguisher stuffed into his pant leg? Uh, hmm. Why why is he carrying a Glock that's strapped to his chest? You know. So it is legal. It is illegal to purposely crash a plane Absolutely. under any circumstances. Yeah. Okay, it's it like is. a felony, I imagine. I, well, the, the felony here is the obstruction, obstruction. part. That makes um, sense. I think I was one of the YouTube guys uh, whose name um, is escaping me, but really, really, really interesting. Went through the video kind of like, you know, frame by frame. He pointed out that if if a crash happens and the plane is unmanned, it's in this weird gray area where it's like, it's is it an incident? Is it a crash? Is it an accident? Like there's all these terms that like aviation lawyers and like, you know, the proceedings around these kinds of things use. Um, he apparently uh, didn't think he had to even report it to the FAA. He was informed by some colleagues or folks, you know, at the airport where he, that he uses there in Lompoc, where he took off from, that he definitely, definitely did. So two days later, he reported to the FAA and they launched an investigation. All the while, there's these folks, he's, he's put this video out. It's like, by the way, this is all, I mentioned the whole sponsorship thing. Um, he This thing was sponsored by like a company that makes this like kind of rugged wilderness wallet. And the very first thing he's, he does before he takes off is flash this wallet and do his little plug, you know, for this wallet. Um... Yeah, and basically what it amounts to is in the press release, uh, they say that when they contacted him, the FAA, uh, to, you know, conduct, to get his cooperation, um, to conduct the investigation, um, he was asked where the coordinates of the flight, the the, the crash site were. Um, He said he didn't know. He said he, he couldn't find it. He didn't know where it was. But then it was determined that he definitely knew where it was. It's in the video. He said he couldn't find it again, I guess. He went back there with a helicopter that he uh, hired and scooped up the wreckage of the plane, (laughs) took it back to the airport, dismantled it, and then disposed of it in various Mm. dumpsters, you know, around the airport. And, like, I I just don't understand why he would have done that. Uh, It just, you know, he he went back to the plane. It's in the video. He obviously needed to recover the, the, the memory cards, you know, from those cameras. And when you watch the footage, like it's it's alternating between like multiple angles. And then like he. But one of the big things that comes up in the the commentary around this from other pilots is like it makes no sense that he would have hiked back to the plane. That makes no sense. It's just like, that's not what you would have done. Ben, I see you nodding because you're a go-bag guy. You're like a prep kind of minded guy. You were a Boy Scout. You wouldn't do that. That would be a dangerous thing to do. Well, uh, it makes sense to go to the crash site. If you're in unfamiliar territory, you want to be where you can see our troubles are no uh, you you want to uh, not the cheers theme song uh if you are in a in an airplane crash and you're lucky enough to survive you you probably do want to stick by the crash site if possible because that's where the authorities are most likely going to find you if it's something inhospitable like crashing over open water then you're just going to have to try to get to land because open water also is not the best unless you have some kind of flotation device uh i think what sticks out here is that um, this guy didn't know what he was doing. Clearly, he he knew a little bit about how this would get a lot of engagement, a plane crash. But it sounds like he didn't even know it was illegal. And then when he did learn it was illegal, he tried to cover it up, but just not too well. 
you know? Yeah, no, that's a really good point, Ben. Um, I think, you know, some of the folks that found it suspicious that he returned to the crash site, there's one YouTuber, let me see if I can find it, because it was very, very good. Uh, he actually used a lot of, like, Google Earth. There's a thing called Google Earth Studio that I was mm-hmm. not aware of, where you can, like, recreate certain conditions, you know, with the sun and all that stuff, retrace certain paths. And this guy, YouTuber Jeff Harris, kind of traced the path of, of, of his flight, you know, what time he took off based on where the sun was and then the trajectory of his landing and realized that there's all this stuff that doesn't line up with the timing that he claims. And, and, and he thinks that he went to the site multiple times to stage the footage of him like, oh, I'm hiking to the site. Oh, no, I'm in the brambles. Raw. And like he even points out that he has a different growth of stubble in certain shots, you know, like he did this over the course of several visits. Um, There's even like one shot where they highlight somebody maybe in the background, you know, like he, he did this with intent, you know, like obviously whether he knew it was illegal or not, you know, is, is debatable, but like he, the only reason he would have hiked back to the crash that your point is absolutely valid. Ben, and he makes it real clear out loud. Oh, I had to get the water. There was water in here, but like he even, changed his trajectory of his parachute landing in such a way that he could get the best footage like of, of the air of the overhead of the plane. And at one point he's using a selfie stick with a GoPro camera. On the other hand, he's got his iPhone. I mean, it's just like this guy's in it for the footage and it's very clear. All of these other YouTubers are pointing all this stuff out. So um, it's just wild for 4 million views, roughly $4,000, uh, this guy's facing 20 years in federal prison. He'll probably only have to serve a percentage of that. One million though. percent. Uh, I yeah. think the fact that he copped a plea or, or that he entered a plea of guilty was probably with that. There was some, you know, uh, understanding of leniency uh, to some degree. But I don't think he was expecting any of this uh, at all. To, to your point, Ben, you know, what his is, did he, didn't he know or whatever? Um, that's, I think, clear that there was, he was, had a very foggy understanding of how this was going to be perceived. Maybe he did understand that the aviation community was going to eat him alive and that just by the virtue of the fact that it was going to generate a lot of like reposts and like, you know, analysis videos that was going to serve his cause um, and maybe up his views, which, you know, it did to a degree. But four million, that's, that's not. That's not enough to, to to put yourself in this kind of risk. So, well, how much did he pay for the plane? Well, that's not clear either, but it was a vintage, you know, a 1940s plane. Um, he bought it just a couple of months before he did the stunt, and it's like a, a classic plane. Taylor Craft. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Taylor Craft or if it's just a Taylor, and they call it a craft. That's what people often in the aviation community refer to airplanes as, because that's what they are. Um, but they're, you know, one of the guys that did some really great analysis on this has uh, a YouTube channel called like Flight Plan or something like that. Gosh darn it, I'm really screwing up here, I'm forgetting this guy's channel. But he interviewed the original owner of the plane, and that guy was like. This is a bummer. You know, this is not what you do with a plane like this. This is like a piece of history. And it also apparently wasn't particularly skyworthy. Like it really should not have been flown. It was being sold for parts. And there's also a part where um, another YouTube channel um, kind of dissection of this points out that when the propeller stops, there's a there's a phenomenon in these types of planes called windmilling where like the propeller will continue to spin just because of the trajectory of, of it through the air. And it's like, you know, it's these are the kinds of planes that you have to like hand start, I think, to some degree, you know, the 1940s planes. So it would continue to spin unless you got you slowed yourself down like intentionally to a point where you were at like what they call stall speed. Um, and you can see him pumping the yoke, which is like you push and pull on these planes on like what looks like a steering wheel. It's like a much older school kind of, it's not a stick like on more modern small aircraft. So you see him pushing and pulling this thing from a distance, you know, cause it's the outside shot. And the guy's like, why is he doing that? Oh, I think he's trying to slow it down and get it to stall speed for the dramatic effect of seeing the propeller slow to fully stopping because that would not happen if you just were like genuinely oh shit, the, mo- the, the the engines died it would keep spinning but visually for drama you need it to be like right. 
And that's what he was doing. Also, he uh, conspicuously had one of the fuel lines disconnected from one of the sides. And I think uh, or, or some folks, you know, experts in this think that he was he, he had he was burning off every last bit of fuel in there to keep it from exploding when it hit. Wow. Yeah, I, this is uh, this is good timing because this reminds me of an episode that we recently recorded on Frederick Valentich, uh, who was a pilot who does not seem to have purposely wrecked his plane, but it's absolutely in the cards. And it inspired me, based on our conversation, inspired me to actually pull the trigger, you guys. I'm going to start working toward a pilot license. What? Yeah, because awesome. we don't want to be in a situation where we need to fly, but we can't. Ben, you know we get in situations. <laughs> you get, uh, you know, I've become strange. We get in yeah. situations. We got like, um, it's it's weird though because I'm I'm bringing this up since we've got a lot of people in the aviation community who are regular listeners, fellow conspiracy realists. I'm I'm interested in how much of a splash this has made in the aviator community or it has something like this happened before has someone previously purposely wrecked a plane for clout it just seems like a, a very weird grift yeah we got a couple of names now trent palmer is another one of the youtubers the aviation community kind of youtubers and his whole point was that uh, this guy is screwing it up for the rest of us you know because mm-hmm. he pointed out that in the united states we have some of the most um let's just say welcoming aviation rules in terms of like people that can fly their own private planes for, for fun, you know, for, mm-hmm. for sport. Um, and that he, he used the expression aviation FAA regulations are many of them are written in blood, meaning that like it takes someone, someone died. dying or being seriously injured to like alter these or create new ones. And, in the era of social media clout and, and all of this kind of like a striving to be this social media star, this guy clearly was, you know, pushing for, uh, it could bring to light things that could cause the FAA to clamp down and make it more difficult mm-hmm. for regular rule following uh, pilots to not be able to do things that they have typically enjoyed being able to do. So that, that that was a big part of it. Not to mention, we haven't even talked about this. I mean, like he he crashes an unmanned plane into like a, a national park for for all intents and purposes. I don't think that's necessarily how it was categorized. But everyone that I was reading and, and listening to and reading the comments on, they're like, people are there. People camp down there. People like hike down there. He could have killed somebody for what? You know, four million YouTube views and a wallet endorsement. I'm sure it's not going to come close to even putting a dent in his legal fees. And now he's facing prison time. So that's, that's all I got. This guy's kind of an asshole. Uh, That's what it comes down to, you know? Well, it's the main character syndrome. So common in social media these days, you know, like uh, I've been following TikTok cringe videos on Reddit and stuff like this, but folks, we know you uh, are not purposely wrecking a plane for fun. If you're purposely wrecking a plane, I think it's fair to say we we assume you have a very good reason and you have to. But Noel, thank you for this amazing story, Matt. Thank you for bringing us the um, disturbing peek behind the curtain of uh, of the finances there in the Church of Latter Day Saints uh, and. Hopefully, uh, you can help us find more little-known cults in the world, in your neck of the global woods, something we can put a spotlight on before it leads to fatalities. Uh, We can't wait to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can find us at the handle Conspiracy Stuff on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. But we're not as cringy. We, we We try, well, maybe a little. A healthy amount of cringe. Just enough cringe. Oh, no. We're totally your grandfather on TikTok. Come on. That's just how it is. <laughs> Look, what? A, it's fine. That's just who we are. That's what we are. It's, we're fun, though. Uh, if you don't like social media, why not give us a call? Our number is one eight three three stdwytk When you call in, give yourself a cool nickname, not your government name. You've got three minutes. Say whatever you'd like. Just at some point, let us know if we can use your voice and message on the air. If you don't want it to be on there, just say. If you don't want to do that, why not send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com.
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.